Okay, I will call to order the regular meeting of the Peace River Town Council for Monday, April the 27th, 2020. And let the record show that we started at five minutes after five. Uh, the, that takes us to the adoption of the agenda and I'll ask Mr. Parker if there's any additions. There is uh, one uh, addition and one deletion, Your Worship. Okay. So uh, under section uh, 14, VoIP uh, division number two, exceptions to disclosures, section 16, disharmful, or disclosure harmful to business interests of a third party. Okay. And then the one deletion is the request for decision, the solid waste tender under section eight. Okay. And it's 8.4, thank you. Okay, so do we have a councillor who wishes to uh, make a motion to adopt the agenda as amended? Ms. Manzer, is that correct? Sure. All in favor? I see a unanimous show of hands. The uh, agenda is adopted as amended. Uh, that takes us to the minutes of the April 14, 2020 regular council meeting. Are there any additions, corrections, modifications, clarifications, et cetera, required there? Okay. Uh, a motion to accept the minutes of the April 14, 2020 meeting then. Mr. Good. I'll move that. All in favor? Okay, that has passed. Uh, are there any public hearings, Mr. Parker? There are none. Any presentations to be had? There are none, Your Worship. That takes us to bylaws. There is a request for a decision, and this is the third reading of bylaw 2069, utility rate bylaw. Uh, we went over this. Um, we didn't go to third reading last time um, uh, because there was not a unanimous vote to go to third reading. Uh, is Are there any, uh, before we go to third reading, are there any questions or comments that, uh, that uh, any of the councillors wish to make at this particular point in time before we uh, ask for a motion on third and final reading on bylaw 2069. This is good. And to clarify my reason for the um, not being going against unanimous vote for the third reading was I needed some more time to think and I appreciate the consideration of the other councillors in that. Um, I'm fine with it at this point. And the, the reason for that is that we've made other accommodations that I think make up for it in a number of different areas. So I'm a lot more comfortable at this point than I was last week. Thank you very much for the consideration. So do you want to make the motion then for a third reading of bylaw 2069? I'll leave that to somebody else. Mr. Needham, you're making yes, that uh, Yes, uh, Your Worship, I would propose third reading for bylaw 2069, the utility rate bylaw. All in favor? Unanimous show of hands, passed. Uh, that takes us to uh, to bylaw 27, 2070, as opposed to the year 2070 tax penalty bylaw. And this is a document that was republished April the 23rd to correct typos, including uh, 
changing paragraph 3A to read October the 1st instead of September the 1st. Uh, do you, is Mr. Town going to speak to this or is Mr. Parker or Mr. Schramm speaking to this item? Uh, Mr. Town is, uh, sorry, Mr. Okay. Town is speaking to this. Okay. Just let me bring it up here. You'll give me a second, please. Okay, um, so this is a new bylaw that would replace our existing bylaw, um, current bylaw being 1640. Um, so this bylaw is put before council as a, a way to assist ratepayers and allow council to defer interest or penalties on, on property taxes, um, which would now be changed to start occurring on, and I'm just pulling up the proper date here, October 1st. So this will change the penalty date from the existing July 1st to October 1st, and then the two uh, preceding months after that. So really a, a three month deferral on um, interest charges, which is in effect a three month deferral on paying property taxes in general. So the bylaw 2070, that's before council will enable um, us to do those deferrals. There is a financial cost to doing so. Um, approximately $50,000, depending on the participation and ability for people to pay by, by said dates. Um, but again, during these times with the pandemic, uh, COVID pandemic, um, seems like uh, something the town is able to do and is interested in doing at this time to allow some flexibility for businesses or individuals um, to pay property taxes in 2020. Very good, Mr. Town. You're very generous. And, uh, and I'm saying that uh, based on the fact that my daughter's rent in the city of Edmonton went up from 500 to $525 a month. And they didn't give a damn about COVID. So, um, so um, any, uh, any questions of Mr. Town? Ms. Ms. Manzer? Uh, so Mr. Town, the um, penalties, they are um, cumulative, is that correct? They would be. So the way the penalties work is on current year's taxes, we charge a 6% penalty on October 1st, another 6% penalty just on the, the tax amount. So it's not an accrued amount. Um, so for example, if you, if your tax bill was $1,000, your penalty would be $60, which is 6% on October 1st. It'd be another $60 on November 1st and then another $60 on December 1st if they're not paid. So uh, yeah, they are cumulative in the fact that um, they would be due on all those dates, but they're not compounding. Thank you. Okay. Um, do I have a motion then, if there's no further questions, to uh, pass uh, bylaw 2070, the tax penalty bylaw? Uh, okay. Ms. Manzer, first motion. I so move. First okay. reading. 
All in favor? I see a pass. Uh, can I call for a second reading? I'll go second reading. All in favor of Mr. Scamahorn's motion? That's a pass. Do I have a motion to go to third reading? I see Ms. Downing has her hand up. I'm assuming- I'll go to third reading, Your Worship. Okay, is there agreement to go to third reading? We have unanimous consent to go to third reading. Will I get uh, a motion to go for third reading, Mr. Good? All, all in favor? Okay, passed unanimously. Uh, that takes us to uh, bylaw 2071. And this one is called the tax rate bylaw. And it was, uh, it was actually republished on April the 26th with the correct file. So I'm assuming that it was published before that date with the incorrect file. So um, uh, I, I take it Mr. Uh, Mr. Town will be leading the discussion on this one as well, or am I incorrect in that? Uh, no, Your Worship, I'll be speaking to this one also. Yeah, I'm rarely incorrect. <laughs> So this is a one the council seen annually and it's a requirement uh, per section 353 of the Municipal Government Act. Council must pass the property tax bylaw annually. So this amount, um, it's a relationship between the assessment and then the tax rate in town. So as council is aware, and then for those in the public who are listening, there were some uh, the budget was approved and the budget deliberations generally happened before the pandemic hit us. And just as the budget approval was, was happening, um, the pandemic and the full impact to the economic impact to both the, the town, ratepayers, commercial properties and individuals were becoming clear. So the budget was approved and within that budget, it showed increases of tax revenues of over 300,000 compared to 2019. <clears throat> Council has since, um, and I'm gonna kind of wander around a little bit through the report. So if I'm not clear, please ask questions during or after. Um, but Council has since uh, brought back or identified savings in the 2020 budget. Some of them have occurred naturally. Some of them are deferments or other staff identified items that are equal to the approximate $300,000 increase in tax revenues that were needed. Um, and by introducing those, the amount of tax revenues needed for the town in 2020 are virtually identical to the amounts needed in 2019. So $11.3 million um, was the amount needed in 2019 and that'll be the amount that will be requisitioned from repairs in 2020 meaning that all things being equal, um, property owners should pay a similar tax bill to what they had paid in 2019. Uh, of course, we say that because individual properties will have different assessment changes um, levied against them. And again, it's all um, determinant on, on individual property statuses. What has happened in uh, this year from an assessment perspective is our assessments for the town um, have gone down about 3.55%. Um, while that's a significant amount, um, a lot of it is driven through 
on, on the economic conditions of the town that we were experiencing before and during this pandemic. Um, and a lot of them are driven by commercial increases. Commercial assessments are down almost five and a half percent compared to the, the previous year. And um, a lot of commercial assessments are based on on their, their revenue outlooks for the year, such as hotels, for example, it's based on occupancy. Um, so there has been challenges there that are um, not necessarily town specific, but indicative of um, the overall economic picture for the province and the nation as a whole. So there are assessment reductions through, through the town and there's a chart there showing the classifications of major categories, so sing, single family residential had a decrease of about 2.7%, commercial properties 5.5% as I'd mentioned. Um, so what happens there is since those, those decreases are existing, there's an inverse relationship between those and tax rates. So while we're showing an increase in the tax rate, they are almost inversely identical to the reduction in assessment meaning that again, classes of property should not see an increase in their tax bill when compared to 2019. Then um, again, that's subject to individual assessments. Um, so I just want council to be aware of that. And again, the public that's, that's hearing this, um, that even though there are, it looks like um, the property taxes are going up, assessments are going down in a similar relationship. So tax bills should be similar to what we've seen in the past. Um, that's also true generally for the school board and these are requisitions that are collected by the town on behalf of the province. Requisitions for the school board are similar to last year, um, but North Peace Housing has an increase of about 5.4% for this year. And again, those are collections that the town does on behalf of these organizations and the amounts are outside of our control. So. Unfortunately, ratepayers will see a tax bill increase um, in general, and those are due to outside forces. So we could take any questions, um, information's uh, before council, and if you do have anything, I'll be happy to answer them. Any questions for Mr. Town? Uh, Ms. Downing? So thanks, Greg. Um, just repeat the last little bit. So the changes that our residents will see in, in their tax uh, bill, uh, somewhat related to the assessment changes and somewhat related to the third party requisition changes. Well, yeah, so the changes in, in assessment, there's a relationship there with the tax rate. So again, from the town's perspective in, in the town portion, which is broken out on the bill, yeah, um, should be similar to what you see in last year. And if there is an increase, um, and again, it's only 22,000 for North Peace housing across the whole town. So, mm -hmm. you know, it might be 30 or $50 per, per household, but you know, that's, that's where the increase could be. If people, if someone's seeing a, an increase on their tax bill, it's mm -hmm. generally not town related. Our revenues requirements are the same in 2019 or in 2020 as they were in 2019. Um, but there is an increase on North Peace Housing. And again, you know, that's, that's the nature of, of their organization and enterprise, and I'm sure it's needed, so. And, and, and I would agree with you, Greg. It's just important to me that I have a clear understanding of what this looks like, because these are questions that will get asked. So yep. thanks a million. 
Ms. Manzer? So without the um, <clears throat> readjusted budget, the tax bill would have gone up more like 5%? Um, no, about 3.4%. Um, so, that was the revenue changes year to year was about a 3.4% increase in required revenues. So then on the briefing note, it indicates that assessments went down by about something or other. So that needed to be adjusted to 2.7% increase. So. Um, even though the numbers are similar, they're different numbers. Our, our, our revenue increases of 3.4% have nothing to do with the assessment um, reductions or changes to our tax rate. So people's actual tax bill, if their assessment went down, they will see a slight increase in their tax amount. So everyone, everyone's going to see an increase in the tax rate. The tax rate affects all properties. Which is Assuming, and I'll use a residential property as an example. Um, if a residential property goes down on the town average of 2.7%, um, the tax rate is going up on residential properties 2.7%. So they should see a 0% or an increase year to year. If, it'll go, if your property goes down 3%, you will pay a little bit less, or if it only goes down 2%, you'll pay more compared to the previous year. But if you look at the aggregate of the town, the decrease in assessment generally matches the increase in the tax rate. So there should be, again, on aggregate, um, a 0% tax bill burden compared to 2019. Okay, and my other question has to do with that, the chart of assessment information. I just wanna clarify the provincial, non-residential, municipal tax levy only. So those are properties owned by province, federal, schools, et cetera, are they, or what are they? Uh, those are provincial properties. Okay, and those are properties that we service basically, but those are the properties to which our um, uh, grant in lieu has uh, gone down significantly over the past few years. Um, well, it'll go down this year. The province is only paying 75% of the tax load mm -hmm. on those properties and not the full 100%. Mm -hmm. um, and that'll go down an additional 25% next year. So even though we still provide the same level of services, and again, you know, during our recent Pats Creek flood, I just kind of want to point out, um, we worked or strived to save all of those properties and we didn't let 25% of the water onto those properties where, you know, one could argue that uh, we're only providing 75% of the services of the property, but I digress. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know we, we only are gonna see 75% of, of the typical revenues from those property this year and 50% next year. It's just one of those things that the town taxpayers pay more for because we have those services that previously the whole province picked up a little bit more of the cost. Yep, and, and, that's, a, and that's a download that was identified during the 2020 budget deliberations where the province has, has decided that their properties um, shouldn't pay their full tax burden. The Crown can do no wrong, Ms. Manzer. And still rob you blind. Greg, I'm okay. just 
Greg, I'm just uh, curious. So KCL did our assessments, I presume. So uh, did they have any, uh, I mean, this is this is a, a trend obviously in across Alberta. This, I mean, there's nobody here is surprised by any of this, but I, I guess my question is when uh, there is some new assessment in the community. And I think I mentioned a couple of those businesses last time. So there is a mechanism to make sure we pick that up, I presume. Uh, thinking of some of the new businesses up on the West Hill or one or two in particular. Yeah, so um, absolutely they are picked up and uh, we do share um, permitting type information with KCL. So, so as, as permits they, are full. So they're aware of that. So that's stuff yep. to, okay, fair enough. Yeah. You can see my Scottish heritage coming out. I didn't, uh, I see uh, lots of tax relief and the revenue is is way offline. So uh, if we can do anything to make sure we don't miss anything, that's uh, that's great. So thanks. Thank God for Scotsman. Okay. <laughs> um, so can I have a may, perhaps I could ask the, the Scotsman to make the first first uh, motion for re the first reading on to pass uh, 2071 tax rate bylaw. All in favor of Mr. Needham's motion? Good, unanimous. Do I hear anyone wishing to put forward the second reading? Mr. Ford, uh, all in favor of Mr. Ford's motion for second reading? I see that's unanimous as well. Could I get a motion to go to third reading? Mr. Good, uh, all in favor of going to third reading? That looks like it's unanimous. Can I get a motion to go to the third reading? Mr. Scamahorn, all in favor of Mr. Scamahorn? Third and final reading. Yes, it's good and it has passed. And that allows us to go to unfinished business of which there is none. So, that, so we will quickly traverse to new business uh, there's a briefing note. It's an ECC update, and I'm assuming this is the Emergency Coordination Committee. That's uh, it's the, uh, the Emergency Coordination Center there, uh, okay. uh, Your Worship. So uh, uh, <clears throat> this is the third uh, update that uh, staff uh, administration has uh, provided council. Um, we, as you remember, we activated the ECC way back in March. I believe March uh, 13th, and we had uh, a report on the 23rd of March, and then also a second one on April 6th. So this report covers the period from April 6th to the 26th. Um, if you want to just look at some comparisons of, of what we were looking at way back in the 6th, uh, we did the same thing on the 6th, comparing us to March 23rd. Uh, provincial cases, we had 1,300 cases. And in, on the 6th and the 26th, we now have approximately 4,888 cases, so an increase of about 3,000. In the North Zone, we had 89 cases, and then we now have today, currently, basically, an increase of 93, basically doubling. Uh, how many do we have in the Tri-County area? So what we have in the Peace River area, we didn't uh, break it up, but I could get that if you'd like. Uh, just the Peace River area. Now, one of the big differences what they did um, with the last report compared to this one is they changed the geospatial 
and they kind of put us into, we believe the MDF pieces uh, uh, zone. And the reason we believe that is because uh, uh, they have, us they said they were following municipal affairs uh, mapping and they have us in MDF uh, piece. Because uh, we have had uh, talked to them numerous times to try and say, no, Peace River should be separate. Um, they bought the cheapest form of mapping system. And so it gave them limited options. And so that's why we're assuming we went to the uh, MDF piece. So right now, in, under this Peace River area, which is basically MDF piece, there is uh, one active case and there's 10 recovered cases. Um, the protocol has changed again. It's, it's consistently, it used to be just a few people who are showing some signs and symptoms. Um, then it went to uh, healthcare workers and areas of outbreaks. And now it's basically anyone uh, who has any kind of signs and symptoms will be tested, whether they have one or two, um, they get just tested. And they're, they're averaging approximately just over 4,000 tests. They are ramping up to try and get to approximately 20,000 tests a day. Um, that is their goal. Um, most of the tests now are showing that it's uh, yeah, be, being uh, uh, transmitted through um, individuals. And of course, our single largest outbreak happens to be specifically in the meat vacuum plant down in High River. Um, so that's basically uh, that one right there. Let's see. Uh, for me, since last, uh, what I've specifically been doing, I've been having a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings with the province, uh, a lot of meetings with the um, Provincial Operations Center, and then a lot of meetings with um, uh, the town itself. We were having basically ECC meetings every day. Uh, it uh, started off at twice a day went to every day and now uh, this past week as of Friday, uh, this week, we're just doing three meetings a week now. And that's Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays unless they uh, uh, need us to tune up. One of the advantages is uh, for our next report that we'll be covering on the, the floods, I have already activated the ECC and being practiced at getting going, we uh, were able to, you know, really respond to the, the flood issue quickly, but I, I digressed a bit. As this uh, CAO, I'm also the Director of Emergency Management, and uh, I've had to, uh, like I said, attend a lot of the meetings on Fridays and Tuesdays with uh, the, uh, the uh, Alberta Emergency Management Agency, uh, POC also known as. I've also uh, participated in meetings with either the Premier or Ministers, so last week it was three different ministers, Minister McIver, uh, Prada, and, um, oh God, uh, Madhu, Minister Madhu. Uh, also they had Dr. Johnson who is on uh, the meetings um, and, and Dr. Henshaw is also on the meeting. So for the POC meetings, uh, Dr. Johnson who falls just under uh, Dr. Henshaw uh, is at the POC meetings and uh, at the, um, Minister and Premiers is uh, basically uh, Dr. Henshaw. Now, um, during this time, both myself and the mayor has uh, been on some of these meetings and the mayor's asked questions, I've asked questions. My questions specifically were, um, I'm looking at the shovel ready projects and I wanted to know what the formula is gonna be um, because there's no reason to put in a hundred projects if they're not gonna really 
uh, give you very much money. So they are looking at different types of formulas. Uh, so that is a, a good update aspect of it. Um, they believe that if some of the projects fall under the water for life, then that's the formula to use. Uh, there are some other funding formulas in which 90% of the cost is covered. They'll, co they'll do that one and then other ones that's just two thirds, one third. So we'll just see um, how that goes. They, they're supposed to be uh, announcing it fairly quickly, um, but they're still reviewing that. Uh, we've also asked about uh, facilities uh, whether they should be opened or when do they anticipate we can be opened. And if we do open them up, what's it going to be like? And the general indication is just general. It's we're going to have to wait and see. And it's probably going to be an incredibly slow, painful uh, ability to move forward in that aspect. Um, there's, uh, as you can see, there's various other uh, um, individuals of, uh, of the organization that participate in the ECC meetings and everyone has specific tasks and jobs uh, that they have to follow up on. So I finished my part. Uh, if you have any questions of uh, myself or of any of the other uh, components, uh, we can get you answers. Go ahead, Mr. Ford. Yeah, so just uh, going back to that geospatial map, um, the only question I have is if you look really closely at the map, it looks like any numbers of, or the counts for MDFPs are basically on, from the west side of the river. And if you, and as far as Northern Sunrise County goes, it looks like it has part of the town that's on the east side of the river. So am I correct in saying that when you're following those cases? I can barely hear whoever's talking. Go ahead, Mr. Ford. I couldn't hear who was uh, just talking. Oh, I think Mr. Parker was going to give an answer to yeah. So the, the indication we've been given is uh, specifically that uh, all our numbers are in the MDFPs. Um, they, they didn't break the town up into three parts. Like we thought that at one point, but uh, they've given us an indication that all our cases are in the MDFPs. Okay, because it, it, I have the map up and it does show a good chunk of the town according to the, the geospatial lines that is in county in Northern Sunrise County. Ms. McCraig could probably add anything else. So this is something we've gone back and forth with municipal affairs on and they admit that their map is not accurate. <coughs> God, I hope you don't have COVID. I do not. <laughs> I have salad. Okay. Uh, when I pulled the numbers, I simply went in the immediate vicinity, anything that was touching Peace River, which was all or the portion of those three MDs. And uh, there were seven cases in MD Peace with six being recovered and one being active. Uh, one case recovered in County of Northern Lights and three cases all recovered in Northern Sunrise County. So whether there's any in other parts of those based on the map, I don't know, but those are the three areas immediately adjacent to us, which for their purposes include the town of Peace River. Which is pretty good numbers uh, and they haven't changed much over the last couple of weeks. I think they might have added one. And that's the unrecovered individual in MDFP's pie. 
Ms. Manzer. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Parker, for the um, shovel-ready projects, is there, do we have an idea of how much money is in the fund that's going to be dispersed? We do not. They don't have much um, information on it. What they've asked for is just send them off uh, shovel-ready projects. Um, it's a very confusing uh, process. Uh, one of the things they even talked about, they said, uh, well, and, and, and one of the concerns that we have is, is like, for example, uh, the water for life. If we have some projects that might fit in the water for life, if there was a whole bunch of projects that were already in the queue prior to us, like a year ago and two years ago waiting, do they get priority? And uh, they might. So then they might eat up that entire fund. So they didn't say how much is going to be there. They just said, get them in. Um, they're going to be looking at the projects. And one of the, the, the first key components is they're going to say, um, how many people are going to be put to work? That's uh, the first thing. The second thing is, is how many are going to be able to be put to work this year? So if you got lots and lots for both of those, then what will happen is, is those are the ones that are going to be uh, uh, put out first. Um, we did discuss even the, you know, like the Northwest trade agreements, whether um, uh, uh, components of that could be waived. That was kind of confusing because we've had two different answers on that. Um, we were given an answer saying that, yeah, there'll be a temporary suspension of it, but now uh, it looks like um, our premiers talk with uh, the other premiers and uh, um, just seeing if uh, it could be relaxed. Uh, there is that possibility. We just don't know yet. But they said that some of the things that they might be able to do is they already have contracts with contractors for paving. And with these contracts and these, these companies, they're able to increase the amount of paving that they want to do, and they don't have to retender it out or follow the Northwest Trade Agreement because they've already done that. So there is a discussion, well, maybe what we could do is municipalities can get in on that uh, paving contracts. Uh, but that doesn't guarantee local individuals will be working. So um, th there's uh, quite a few uh, discussions on that. Uh, don't know how much money, don't know when it's going to happen. Don't know what the funding formula is, but a program's coming. Okay, well, two comments. Um, one, I, I know one of the things that was listed someplace was um, uh, the uh, redecking of the Green Peace River Bridge was listed as one of the possible infrastructure things but if they want it to be started soon etc to me that seems a little bit how do they manage that one there's two programs so there's the one that you just mentioned right there so that's the provincial program for provincial projects mm -hmm. and then there's a municipal shovel ready project mm -hmm. so with that one right there that was on the agenda to do after the current bridge and so uh, what's happening is they feel that they can up that one now. Um, and so that one was put on the list, but that wasn't put on by uh, the, the town. That was the province that said, okay, uh, that one's ready to rock and roll. So. so my other comment, it's somewhat a little bit cynical. Um, the provincial government did announce that through the FCSS provincial program that they had, I think it was 70 million or so set aside to um, accept applications through that program for some COVID um, situations. And they got too many applicants. So they uh, stopped the program and it seems to be stopped 
totally right now. So I hope they have figured out whatever they're doing with this infrastructure one or shovel ready so it doesn't happen to that one. Um, this is, see, this is one of the problems that you have um, when you try to rush to get money out the door. And then they also have the other issues that they're dealing with is you still have to deal with the issues of COVID-19. You still have to look at, okay, how can we get these projects out, but still ensure that maybe you're doing social distancing or, or can, do you have to always do social distancing all the time? I'll give you a, a, a real interesting one is uh, I remember when we were doing the uh, literally the, the floods last week and we all operated the EOC and Alberta health was uh, on and they said, remember we, you know, we must fulfill all the, the requirements of the social distancing. So, um, and in some cases, you just couldn't. I mean, you, you had to work beside someone and it wasn't six feet, you know. So, um, but, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting in this next little while to see what's going to happen and, you know, how we can move forward. Uh, Mr. Parker, I should remind you that we're metric. You know, we, we became metric under the first Trudeau, and it's 1.5 meters. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. And, and Elaine Manzer, that green bridge, that's actually Alberta blue. So uh, any further questions for Mr. Uh, Parker? So I, I do. Are, are we considering doing the... Uh, the shotgun approach where we throw as many applications as we can, or is this going to be more of a, you know, scalpel surgery thing and really target uh, and, and try to put in small, like less, but you know, more targeted or what we would call surgical applications and, and kind of try to focus in, in that way. Well, we, we did already submit a list. Um, we, we tried to do a combination of ones that we thought would uh, move forward, ones that would assist the town, uh, ones that uh, could possibly um, be sure that they would actually make it in the criteria of the province. Um, and in some cases, like for example, uh, we, we have $200,000 for repaving. We, if we had $3 million, we would, there were sections we could repave. You know, so, but the problem is, is because, you know, $200,000 doesn't really go very far. Um, we did put in an application for 3 million, knowing that maybe it could be approximately if it's, it's 90, 10%, and we only have to put in 10%, uh, we could still do that amount of projects. So it, it was a combination of that. Um, every one of the projects that we put in, uh, basically we um, do need to get done. Uh, sometime and uh, some do meet the water for life criteria some meet you know just uh, basic paving pothole paving um, and you know so it, it, it was quite a few projects uh, what we could do is Jim uh, uh, director of uh, engineering can send it out to everybody uh, the the actual list if you wish okay so it wouldn't be things like um, we looked at I don't know stuff at uh, say both at, you know, with the park there, uh, the events park used to be the ballpark. Yeah, Davis. Davis park. Yeah, like we, we had some, you know, we, we've got plans for some things there that kind of sort of hit the back burner, the trail to um, Shaftesbury, the, you know, some of these other things like um, 
even though they're not as, I guess they're a little bit more extras as opposed to, to paving or, or water. Would we just, would we just put them all in and, and cross your fingers? We did put everything in. I'm just uh, going to pull up the list right now. Oh, you can send the list. It's, it's no rush. Yeah, yeah. As long as we're, I, I feel like we're on the same page. Motion to accept for information. All in favor of Don Good's motion to uh, um, accept for information. To accept for information. And I think that's the unanimous vote. Uh, the second item under new business is a briefing note regarding Pat's Creek flood. Um, uh, Mr. Parker, are you speaking to this one? I, I will be, Your Worship. Uh, first of all, I have to apologize uh, uh, this getting out so late in the first place. But uh, what one of the things we want to do is we want to include some of the components from our Friday debrief. So we actually had a debriefing uh, from uh, 2.30 to almost 5 o'clock uh, on Friday uh, with the team and uh, the majority of uh, the decision makers who were at the uh, actual, uh, either in the EOC or ECC um, um, or also... Uh, who are uh, the incident commanders right on the scene itself. Uh, what we wanted to do is we wanted to try and get as much info as we could, uh, pop it in. So uh, I've been working on this and I just wanted to make sure that it was correct. So then I had to send it out to everybody. And, and uh, unfortunately, I didn't want to be um, making them work again another weekend. So I did a majority of it uh, like on Friday and I sent it out today. So Please excuse not having it in advance, um, but I think it's you know it's it's a good little report. Um, and the second thing is the actual report from 2015. Um, there was some there was a study that was done in 2015 that was actually interesting too, and uh, uh, that's kind of uh, important for uh, individual street. So the first thing is I'll just start off a little background. On the 18th, we all know last Saturday. Just, two Saturdays ago, basically, um, there was an uh, experience of uh, flooding on the creek and uh, we had to uh, uh, get back into the ECC and uh, basically it was all hands on deck and it happened fairly quickly. So just some historical issues. Uh, we've had approximately four downtown floods within the past year. 2013, we had two. We had uh, one in April and that one was due to a partial collapse of uh, the actual pipe and debris. I was blocking the actual intake. And then in 2013 and 2014, we had flooding again. Uh, this from a huge amount of snow melt. Uh, basically, you couldn't uh, handle it, uh, the file deck, and um, caused uh, backup. In 2014, it actually came out uh, of the, um, one of the areas was frozen, and uh, then water backed up through uh, our, our manholes down, uh, down below by the, the park. In 2014, also, we breached the dike because there was so much water and we couldn't pump it out um, to get the water out. There was a considerable amount of damage that was caused there. And we were on the provincial radar scene for, for a little bit. And um, they finished off their study uh, about how we could probably mitigate some issues. Uh, and they came up with a couple of different suggestions with costs. Uh, the costs, uh, when they, they looked it up, uh, stemmed anywhere from $36 million to $187 million in 25, uh, 2015. So we can imagine what those costs would be today. So 
basically the preliminary cause of the event that we looked at uh, around breakup is a known issue. We do know that we, you know, we, we get flooding. So we have been watching it. Uh, we checked the culvert on two occasions. We actually checked it twice that day. Earlier, approximately 11.30, and then later on in the afternoon, we checked it again. But when we check it, we not only check the intake, we check the outtake to see, okay, is this a good flow coming in? There should be a good flow coming out. Um, and it was, so we didn't have any concerns. Um, a little later though, um, uh, we did notice that uh, we started having problems and, and basically um, it, it was just, it, it just was crazy. And one of the things I do want to just say about the preliminary cause is right now, uh, we believe that ice was carried from a culvert up above. Um, it went over the, the trash gate and the trash gate is there to prevent um, the ice and also other debris. In 2013, I believe the trash gate was damaged. And then in uh, 2015, after we received about $2.9 million, we uh, uh, repaired the trash gate. So um, it seemed to have been doing its job, but with the deluge of water, it kind of picked up the debris, put through it over the actual trash gate, and then it came on down. Hence, uh, caused some problems in the, uh, the, the area of the culvert. Um, then, because of um, it was a warm day and uh, there is an unusual amount of snowpack, uh, we were uh, informed by the province that there was probably um, a, a three, they, they, told, they, they said it was a very huge uh, accumulation of the uh, snowpack. Um, that there was a lot of water that came on down. Um, we don't believe that there was any uh, culverts that gave way up, uh, you know, in the county of Northern Sunrise. We just felt that there was just a lot of melting and then water melts more water and then it, it all went down into the, the creek. And then all of a sudden we had just a deluge. So, and in some areas, the snowpack was three times normal. Can't. So every spring we meet with the province and, and sometimes it's a daily meeting, sometimes it's just weekly meetings. Uh, uh, we've been having fairly regular meetings with uh, the province and their staff. They were briefing us on the ice conditions of the, the peace, the smoky, the little smoky and heart rivers. But they also brought up some uh, uh, satellite uh, observations. And uh, we were able to look at the Northern Sunrise County and we could see some of the uh, snow cap uh, areas there. And that's why we were ensuring that we were doing those daily tracks checks. And in this case, uh, twice a day. Um, as part of the preparation for spring uh, breakup, uh, we do the, um, like I said, the intake. Um, let's see what else you need to The $2.9 million uh, that we received from the province it, what it did is it just helped us um, solidify Pat's Creek itself. It just fixed up Pat's Creek, not um, extend it because uh, we had parts of Pat's Creek that actually collapsed, you know, so this um, uh, gave it some support. Supposedly it'll give it a, um, you know, 20, 30 years more life. Um, however, um, we're going to continuously have problems with Pat's Creek, no matter what. And there's, you know, cert certain things we can do, but we just have to be prepared that we are going to have flooding in the future, no matter what. 
Um, due to the location, Pat's Creek is within the, uh, the drainage basin and there's always some risk of flooding within the town, whether it be one in 50 year events or one in 100 year events. Uh, further steps are being looked at to provide additional mitigation measures uh, to reduce this risk uh, with normal flooding events up to one in 20 year events. Um, now, when you, a lot of people misunderstand what one in 100 to one in 150 means. Um, one in 100 doesn't mean that you only have a flood once in 100. You're looking at the type of conditions. Unfortunately, and, and uh, you know, some people might hammer me as soon as I say this, but uh, I believe with the combination of uh, a partial uh, uh, global warming and everything like that, that's what's happening. You get these unusual snow um, uh, accumulations. It's not regular as we, we're normally used to. And then all of a sudden you get this large amounts of water that is, or, or snow and ice that is melting. Um, I think we're gonna have these events a lot more um, regular than every hundred years or so. Um, and like I said, in 2015, there was a study that was done um, and the, there were some options, sorry, at, at 10.8 million to 186 million um, to deal with this issue. So the actual events that occurred, we tried to be as accurate as possible. Um, so at approximately 11.30 and again at 5.30, staff checked the intake. It was normal at 8.10, uh, Public Works um, got a call member, received a call from a concerned resident and the individual went down. He was on the scene 10 minutes later and he observed a small amount of water coming from the access hatch. Public Works member contacted the foreman and superintendent of Public Works who arrived on the scene 15 minutes later. Uh, during that time, uh, the, uh, uh, the flow was still low and Public Works staff uh, immediately began ensuring that the storm gates were open and the superintendent immediately advised the director of, uh, sorry, engineering and infrastructure. A fire department also received a call at this time and they arrived on the scene with the director of engineering arriving approximately 8.47. Between 8.47 and nine o'clock, the water was coming from the access app at approximately four inches. Uh, and then it went close to a meter high. So it, it, it just rapidly started to come out faster. At 8.43, I was called. And at 8.52, uh, I arrived on the scene. Um, my first uh, location I was at, I was at uh, River Road. And then I went up to the main uh, town, 100 uh, Avenue. And then from there, I went to the EOC. Um, the conversations that I had with RCMP is one thing that I noticed while I was uh, just out on the road is all the people were coming to take a look. And what was really incredibly frustrating and dangerous because the situation was dangerous it's they were coming down, parking their cars. First, they were blocking ways that we can get public trucks in. And then the second thing that they were doing is they're actually walking in the water and taking pictures. So that was a dangerous scene. So um, I did advise um, I needed more CMP officers and to try and control the flow. Only necessary individuals need to come down. Um, also, what happened is, is our uh, communications uh, individual, Autumn, uh, was a uh, uh, getting information at this time and getting ready to put out a report. And at 9.07, had the first uh, report that was out on the town website. We, uh, at 9.15, the plan was developed to actually do the berm 
and the berm to redirect the water right into uh, Riverfront Park. They started that process. Uh, we also at that time, about 9.20, we got the Tagger Dam. So if anyone doesn't know what a Tagger Dam is, it's a big plastic long tube. Think of it filled with water. So we'd fill it with um, from a fire hydrant and then you can manipulate it. You put it in a, you roll it out in a particular area and you blow it up with water. And then the water on the outside hits it and then is redirected. Um, we put it, our first priority was the TELUS building. We started to receive uh, uh, reports that there was water getting into the basement of the uh, TELUS building. And uh, we were advised if it shorts out, which we were extremely concerned, we'd lose telecommunications for the whole area. So that's why the Tagger Dam, that was our first area to protect. Then um, as Public Works is calling for contractors, um, we were extremely lucky in that we had a lot of contractors that had an incredible amount of equipment on them, and we were able to get lots of dump trucks down. Uh, we had uh, just purchased a whole bunch of dirt, so we were able to load up all the trucks with the dirt that we had. And uh, I don't know if anyone ever saw the one picture from the town hall going all the way up, but basically uh, there was like 15 trucks with their lights at night. And it was just, uh, it was just, a, it was amazing uh, how people were able to respond. We also uh, brought in uh, the, the town's eight inch pump uh, into Riverside Park. Uh, we tried to get that going, it did not work. Um, uh, the one area that uh, I, I have to say that I myself was uh, concerned with that, and this is where you're, you're after the thought, is you have the public works guys who are in the water and they're up to their hips and it's cold. It's about minus two and uh, they didn't have hip waders on. And I was, afterwards when we did our debrief, we realized that, uh, you know, we have to make sure that if they're going to be in that cold water, um, you know, we, we will have the proper equipment for them. We did pull them out. We did warm them up in trucks. We'd alternate it, but still, to the honest truth, hypothermia can set in fairly quickly. Um, and uh, that was the, the one concern that I have, and uh, we will address that in future. Um, at 9.56, we received a phone call, uh, information from Stefan Evan. Um, and he's our, uh, basically... A uh, gentleman from the province who's been helping us through all the flood aspect. He's the expert. And he warned us that uh, it looks like the Smoky and the Heart Rivers are going to go. The ice jams are going to go the very next day. So we knew one of the options is to possibly breach the dike. But if the Smoky and the Heart River goes, well, everyone knows that that river, um, the Peace River immediately starts to rise like crazy. And uh, so we were concerned about doing that. And it was an absolute last resort. Uh, we continued trying to uh, get the pump going. The pump didn't uh, go. The berm was finally, uh, basically, uh, was completely um, down 99th uh, Street. And what that did is, it did a really good job of redirecting the water down the, the parkway, unfortunately. Um, places like Wild Grill got water around it, um, uh, the real estate, the BCMI, Athabasca Hall. And then one of the second problems was, is then water started to go around the back of uh, the hotel there, uh, Third Mission. Um, and it was flowing down towards uh, uh, the Alberta Health Mental Health Building. 
And then that, that property got totally flooded in the basement there, um, which was unfortunate. So there are some things we've learned that we might be able to do if we're going to know this is going to be a problem, how we might be able to avoid that in the future. Uh, during this uh, evening, when uh, I arrived on scene at approximately uh, 7.30 when I'm in the ECC, and we get a good picture of what actually is happening, where water is going, I informed the mayor and deputy mayor and then requested to do a soul. We received permission to do a soul, and according to our bylaw, we do need two people, so we did have that. Uh, so I had it in, uh, and then the mayor came down to the ECC to keep council informed from that point on. Um, and uh, then that, which was great because that took a, a great deal of uh, work off my hands because normally the Dem continues to keep uh, council informed, but uh, the mayor was, did a wonderful job just to sit there and, and uh, just watch what we were doing and uh, just keep you guys informed. And, and uh, I think uh, some of you uh, uh, appreciated that. Um, then as uh, time went on, um, uh, we had uh, a lot of um, individuals and organizations that uh, were contacting us to see if they could help our neighbors did. If the, that's really wonderful to see when your neighbors are phoning you, um, say, hey, do you need help here? Anything we could do. Uh, and in a case uh, with this, we, we got a lot of fire departments and some individuals that came on out. And, uh, and that's basically it in that aspect. 1240, we actually decided we're gonna have to uh, breach the dike. We didn't have the pumps going. Water was still coming down. We couldn't redirect it. Um, there was still water going out of Pat's Creek the, um, at the end, but it just couldn't control it. Um, so we got the equipment ready to breach, uh, breach the dike. It, it takes a little while, but we were, we were getting ready for it. Just before we actually gave the final, let's do this, we did a final walk out there. So it was myself, uh, director of engineering. Uh, we went up to the hatch and the hatch had basically, it was trickling and then it came, it stopped. So then we realized, well, if we can get pumps here and we knew we had pumps coming and they should be there within the next 15, 20 minutes. If we can get the pumps up and rolling, um, maybe we can get this water out and mitigate. And sure enough, the pumps did arrive just after one o'clock in the morning. Uh, they started working and uh, basically by about 5.30 in the morning, the uh, water was out and um, the majority of it was out and we were just down to one pump. Um, with that, we did a, um, that, that evening, uh, the next day we talked to MLAs, uh, the mayor talked with the, uh, Minister Nixon, uh, the mayor also talked with the premier. Uh, the mayor did a, a two walkthroughs, one with staff and then one with uh, um, our MLA to, to basically show some of the damage areas. So that was uh, good to get it onto the provincial website uh, uh, radar. And I think that helped because literally we, they were asking for damage numbers and they wanted to, they wanted to sit down and meet with us as soon as we could. So the first thing um, that we did, and they, they, they wanted to know the numbers from not just the, us, but the town, we put together a website uh, we reached out with the Chamber of Commerce uh, to, to basically ask the, the individuals who were uh, um, affected by this flood to please fill out this information. And then we took the information and we sent it 
on Thursday to the province. So our damages and also the provincial damages. And the very next day on Friday, we had meetings with the province and uh, they talked to us about specifically how we can move forward and how uh, residents can move forward if they're eligible and the process and everything. So uh, they, we, we do list a couple of uh, uh, websites and sections and some information, uh, how to prove your claim. Um, they do say though, it has to be uninsured uh, losses uh, even to meet the minimum requirements. And the second thing they kind of emphasized that they did say, look, it's uh, sometimes this is a political issue. So be aware of that. So uh, I kind of got that feeling when the, the, the premier is uh, basically involved quite a bit. So um, it is on their radar. We're gonna try and see what we can do, but there is no guarantees. Um, I'd like to end off the report in this very last two paragraphs, page five and six. In, uh, in events like this, it isn't uncommon to receive assistance from other municipalities and contractors. The town had a couple of neighboring municipalities when called were able to offer assistance, such as fire personnel. And the town of uh, Peace River last week, the town offered, just like last week, the town of Peace River, we offered assistance to the county of Big Lakes with technical resources for to help in their flood issues. Um, it needs to be mentioned that uh, the many contracts that were able to provide support so quickly, definitely it was an amazing reason why we were able to minimize the damage to both buildings and property. Um, we have sent, uh, and when I say we, the mayor has sent personal letters to all contractors and municipalities that assisted in the flood, and that was last week. Um, and in some of the cases, we can say specifically what they did uh, because we kept uh, very good records of uh, what the organizations did. Um, and it was just, um, I, will, I, I will have to say this, it's, the team did a great job. I mean, I was, to be in the ECC, I was incredibly proud to sit there and just watch them in action. And uh, like, damn, they were a good team. That's, that's all I can say. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really pleased, not just the directors, but I mean the whole team, because the sum of the team is the individual parts and right down to the individuals who are making some really unique decisions uh, to help mitigate some issues. And uh, I, 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 you can't be nothing but proud of them. Great. Any questions for Mr. Parker? Mr. Good? Just more of a comment than more of a comment than a question. Um, on the day that they, all the councilors were walking around downtown, that we all went downtown to take a look at the damage. I know that all of us spoke to different people at that time and spoke to different individuals who had had damages or had losses or had troubles. And um, I just wanted to, and uh, Director Town, I know was down there with us and there were, Tanya was with us and things like that. And I just wanted to reassure the people that spoke to us that we did hear what they were talking about the questions and concerns that they brought up and the specifics were all noted. And I think um, I'd like Mr. Town to comment on this also because he was there for some of this, just to give assurances to the people that we spoke to that the issues that they brought up will be examined and addressed. If Mr. Town could respond to that also, I'd appreciate it. Um, yes, absolutely. I could reiterate um... Um, Councillor Good's sentiment that we did talk to a lot of people and heard um, 
the stories of their impacts and, and their concerns. Um, at the staff level, we've talked to staff at the AEMA, which is responsible for the disaster recovery program. And that's a provincial program that is both for municipalities and private um, sector businesses or individuals that um, if approved at the ministerial level, so it sounds like there's a provincial working group that is tasked to, to determine eligibility, um, that there is potential for um, uninsured costs to be um, able to be reimbursed at the provincial level. At the staff level, we are working to, to try to uh, get that program in place. It's gonna be a process, it's gonna take time, um, but that's what we're really advocating for to, to ensure that we're, to, to really work to try to get that for, for the community. What I was talking about was that there were some individuals who had more specific questions about was this done, was that done? And without going into the details of them right now, because there's no use going into it until those things are questions are resolved. I know that you were taking notes and quite detailed notes on some of those questions. And that's the kind of thing that I was looking for reassurance that those people will have their answers, their, their questions and their concerns answered. Um, yes. Yeah, so again, at the staff level, we will work to, to uh, get any responses back out to those people um, as able to um, and communicate with them to let them know what we're doing and trying to do on their behalf too. Um, well, thank you very much. And, and I also wanted to thank the people that talked to us on the walk and that for, for taking the time. I mean, they're, they're busy trying to um, rectify situations that they're involved in, like take things out of the basements or, or remove things that are wet or to get their lives back in order. And I, they were very, very kind to take the time to spend with us to give us the details that we needed and to spend time with the other people who went down. So I just wanted to thank them for taking a few minutes of their time to speak with us. Anything else, Ms. Downing? Uh, um, thanks for this report, Chris. It does, it's nicely laid out and it makes it easy for us to follow along about what actually went on. I did have a question from uh, a community member about the pump station that's down in the area of the mental health building. What is that? Is that there to help? Where, where were we at with that? And that's one pump question. And then the second pump question is, clearly we need to make sure we have operational pumps uh, available for us at this time of year. I'm not pointing fingers, stuff like that always happens. Um, but would that have mitigated some of the other areas of flooding if we'd been able to pump immediately? So you want me to answer that one, Chris? Yeah, you can answer, uh, like that's station <laughs> one, I believe that you're talking yeah. about. And, and then, uh, yeah, we can talk about the pumps aspect of it. Yeah, so, yeah, so right, Chris, uh, the one uh, station that you're identifying is lift station one, which is part of our sewage uh, sanitary sewer system uh, to pump all uh, sanitary sewage uh, from the south end up to the north end into the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, so that one there, uh, one thing that we had to do uh, just to keep up with the, the flows that were incoming was uh, normally we can run off one pump, but we have a second auxiliary pump in there as well, the same size as the primary pump. And uh, we were able to run both of them to uh, keep up with the, the flows that we were encountering there. 
So that is a, a totally separate system from the stormwater management system. Uh, so one of the issues that we had, uh, we have an eight inch pump uh, that Public Works has, but uh, they could not achieve prime with that individual pump when they got that one set up. But uh, at that point, we also uh, called on for additional pumps around town and also uh, some 10 inch pumps from uh, Manning, uh, which uh, they are now out. But uh, as soon as we kind of assess the situation, we got those pumps uh, on their way uh, fairly quickly. And uh, those were the ones that helped uh, pumped out uh, that basin at the end of the day. But the other thing was just trying to get uh, a couple of different pumps out because there are a couple of low lying areas, not just around Riverfront Park, but uh, back behind the mall and down uh, towards uh, Lift Station 1 and the mental health area, there's a low spot in there. So we were setting pumps in, up in each of those areas to, to kind of get that stormwater back into the river. Yeah, the answer, Ms. Downing, is yes. If we had been, if uh, the pump had, if we had gotten the pump to achieve its prime, uh, we probably would have been able to mitigate some of the damage. <clears throat> uh, it was a, it, it was a smaller pump. Uh, that was the only problem. It was an eight inch, so that means an eight inch in, and it's what it's a six inch out then, uh, Jim. No, it's an eight inch in and out. So that one there, uh, so even if that one achieved prime, we still would have had some flooding because the just the amount of stormwater that was coming out of uh, Pat's Creek, uh, because it was a flash flood, and that's what the, the proper terminology for that event was, is a flash flood that kind of overwhelmed our storm infrastructure. And uh, as a result, you know, uh, having that eight inch pump would definitely have helped. Would it have prevented all the flooding though? But the word the, mitigate means lessen, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and that is one of the things we are, again, why we wanted to debrief because um, th there are some options that we want to look at. Uh, some is going to cost uh, money and we're trying to see if, uh, maybe we can leverage some some funds or redirect some funds that we currently uh, have uh, to try and mitigate this for the future. Because uh, yeah, there are some other things that we can do. And uh, uh, we, so for, anyway, we'll talk about that later. We just wanna, we really wanted to get this report out first. Um, we do need to do a, a little study here. And uh, so just to make sure that what we recommend in the future is uh, would be reasonable. I have a question or two, um, if possible. There, what what kind of uh, plans or documentation or anything? Like you guys said, you had a debrief on Friday after the event um, from previous flooding events. What other kinds of info were you able to kind of dig up or access that had been done then to you know kind of learn from? So, so what we had is in 2013, 2014, uh, there was no debrief that we could find at all. Um, I went back to the uh, directors that were here and they were not part of any de debrief. Uh, neither was the fire uh, department uh, here. Um, there's no documentation that we could find. So 
we we're we're making sure that we do have documentation. We're making sure that we do have information, um, but we couldn't seem to find anything um, at the time of uh, a debrief. What went well? What didn't go well? What did come out was that report that I sent. Um, uh, th th that is uh, attached that 15 page report on um, possible mitigation options, um, expensive mitigation options. Um, but that, that's the only other report that I could find. So as far as operating procedures during a flash flood, there was kind of nothing to, you know, make sure you do this first, or we did this and it didn't work so well. So next time it happens, do that. Like we're, we're kind of like our education on this, we're one flood behind. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 and we basically did learn quite a bit uh, with this one, even though we, we worked fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, there were, there were some good, good learning lessons. Okay. Um, in your uh, report, there's, did you speak to the duckbill valve? Uh, Jim would be more than happy to and, talk about uh, that one there. And uh, so I don't see it mentioned in here and the fact that it couldn't keep up. Actually, I think it was, I, I don't think I used that as a terminology, but I did um, pop it out. I thought it was right. It mentioned something here. I didn't use the actual Dell's name. Uh, but just to, to summarize that, uh, yeah. so the one uh, duck bell valve that, uh, or, or the series of uh, valves that we installed as part of the Pat's Creek uh, upgrade uh, that was completed uh, two years ago. Uh, so those functioned properly, but there again, just the, the sheer amount of water that came into Pat's Creek, uh, it, uh, it allowed the, the flow that it was designed to allow through, but still the, uh, the storm water that was coming down through Pat's Creek exceeded that the ability of both uh, that valve to keep up as well as the, the viaduct portion uh, that was uh, allowing some water to go through. Well, we need to uh, put that into the report because uh, from the report from the last time, that was the that was the mitigation measures should should uh, the event reoccur, and that was to uh, to allow the water to get out to the Peace River. Yeah, and, we, we uh, kind of mentioned it, uh, Your Worship, on page two of the uh, well, let's see, one two uh, in the actions to mitigate flooding. The, uh, in 2015, we kind of mentioned, we can, we can clear it up a little bit more, but we do mention that we, we talk about that valve. We also talk about that there was water still flowing, but this also led to capacity and individuals might not understand that one sentence as there were significant amounts of water coming out of the outfall. This led us to the belief that there was an issue of capacity. Okay, we can tighten that one up. Oh. It has to be more than just tighten it up. So that was the mitigation measure. Uh, it was obviously under design for the uh, problem that we encountered. Um, and that needs to be noted uh, um, in terms of doing stuff 
better next time. Uh, and I'm not saying that we need to put in another duckbill valve, but uh, obviously that needs, we need to, uh, there was still damage and it was well over half a million dollars. Um, um, so we, we do need to, uh, it probably is a, re a return on investment if we uh, look at some other mitigation measures. Yeah, definitely. This is Manzer. So, um, <clears throat> Mr. Mayor, you just mentioned damage of over half a million dollars. Um, that figure is damages to everything. Does that include um, hiring the trucks and stuff like that? Or do we know those figures as yet? That's not a question for me to answer. That's a question for uh, either Mr. McQuaid or Mr. Parker. So it's a combination. Uh, this is, uh, it's, it's 1.147. So on page four of the report, I actually have a, uh, this is our rough estimate of just for the town and also physically to deal with it. So that's hiring out the contractors, uh, um, uh, the, the, the moving of the dirt, uh, um, any rental for uh, any equipment that we had to uh, use. And, and of course the repair of uh, quite a bit of the, the streets um, and uh, see one of the problems that happened and, and the mayor actually saw it when um, we went out and we were taking a look at um, the hatch just before we decided not to breach. Um, I stepped on the sidewalk where the bricks were and I went through it because the water had sunk underneath where the bricks were and the sand and all the dirt washed it away. So there's some areas in the road that we've also have a little bit of uh, concern about and so we might have to rebuild part of the road. So, so there's uh, quite a bit of disappointing damage. I'm hoping it won't go up. In the last uh, flood, <clears throat> part of the mitigation was to uh, basically rebuild part of the culvert, but it was only part of the culvert that was redone. Correct. Uh, Mr. McQuaid could uh, answer that one. Yeah, so it was uh, selective repairs to the sidewalls and also to the flooring of Pat's Creek uh, of that viaduct that was put in there. Uh, so a lot of that was shot treated on the sides and then the, the concrete uh, floor redone uh, through that area. But uh, one of the things going into that project, we always knew that that uh, project was an intermediate step. It, and it wasn't a final solution. And that was one of the things that, as I read through back to the previous reports that they said that this was an interim measure. So uh, going forward, we'll have to kind of revisit that and get uh, what other further measures that uh, we can take. Okay, and uh, one last question, this water tube thing, what was it called again? Oh, uh, a Tiger Dam. The Tiger Dam. Um, we borrowed that from another municipality or we have our own? It was a provincial resource. So the province has a bunch of these in trailers that uh, you you can use, you can request, or um, uh, they use all over the place. So uh, this one happened to be uh, pretty close by and uh, we were able to get it, uh, use it. But this is some of the things, see there's advantages and disadvantages to Tiger Dams. 
Uh, Tiger Dam takes about almost an hour to actually to fill up uh, via the hydrant. Uh, so that could be a problem. Um, if you have low flow, or if you have some problems with your, your water uh, system, then it, it's totally useless. So it is one tool that could possibly be recommended for future, just to have one or two of them. Um, we're also gonna look at a couple of other um, options uh, for uh, mitigating flood or redirecting flood waters. So the Tiger Dam, where it was installed, it did actually prevent some water from- It did. Going it, so if we used it twice. So we used it the first location at Telus, and then once we were able to get the other uh, berm up, we were able to um, redeploy it to another location in town. Uh, we took it down by um, the apartment complex, uh, Stonehenge, um, and popped it out by there. Well, I guess if, if we know that this is perhaps going to happen, flash flood kind of situation in the future, and if the part of the problem is water coming up through the um, whatever the manhole stuff is, um, maybe we block off the street with this stuff a month ahead of time or something. It's inconvenient, but maybe it's helpful. Thanks. Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh, any further questions on on the report on the briefing? Jim, yeah, it's it's Colin here, uh, Your Worship. Uh, Jim, uh, the uh, the mitigation just wasn't clear. So the geographically, the the low spot is uh, behind the mental health building, behind the radio station. So was the idea to develop the the bathtub exit? Is that was that what well, the I think the overall. Uh, emphasis that we put on to the, the flood mitigation for this round was uh, to kind of channel all all or the majority of the water into Riverfront Park right. as, and treat that as kind of a stormwater pond per se that we could then pump from, right? So, uh, but even in doing that while we're setting up, we still had stormwater that was uh, finding those low spots down by mental health and by the mall. Uh, and there again, you know, at that seat, you know, it ceased to be an issue once we got those earth berms up and in place, which, uh, you know, from the time that I arrived on the ground, uh, within an hour of that time, we had trucks coming in with dirt dirt burning. So our contractors and our public works uh, responded fairly quickly to get those earth berms up. Uh, so that way we could isolate where that water was going and redirect it into Riverfront Park from where we could then pump it back into the river. Well, it, no, and, I, and, and you know, I, being an old timer, I've seen many floods in Peace River. And when you live in a river valley, I, it's regrettably, it's Paps Creek, it's the heart, it's the smoky, it's the peace. Uh, take a look at Fort Mac mm -hmm. in the last couple hours. So that doesn't make it any easier for people. Uh, but yeah, we do live in a, you know, by flood area, but I guess what I was driving at was uh, the idea of having some sort of a permanent structure there where you do exactly as you said. So you, so if it's Riverfront Park, it's Riverfront Park. So yeah. you use the Tagger Dams, you have a flash flood, it's directed there. And then there's a direct link from the lowest spot to the, to the, to the peace side. I, I guess that's was in my mind. And uh, I wasn't, I, I just wasn't 
clear what the engineering solution was, but. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of solutions, like a, a couple of solutions were brought out by the AECON uh, report done in 2015. One of the things I think they alluded to, but uh, I wish they would have flushed out a little more back then, was the idea sure. of using intermediate uh, uh, surge ponds uh, further upstream. So that way, uh, that you're still going to have the water come down, but it's going to come down in a more controlled manner instead of having kind of this flash flood type situation coming down through there. So I think, you know, we need to kind of explore some of those opportunities with Northern Sunrise County and as well as uh, some other options as well. Yeah, and that would be my final point, Your Worship. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to happen today or tomorrow, but I, I think sometimes when we get together and we're with our neighbors, we're through ICFs, uh, you know, a solution needs to involve them. And uh, we're talking about mitigation stuff down in the valley. Well, maybe we should have a, a conversation with, with Northern Sunrise to talk about uh, some strategies up there and whether it's retention ponds or whether it's a discussion about their land use practices. But I, I think we need to have a conversation with them. I mean, I don't see a $187 million project in my future. Uh, but maybe there's some other low cost ideas we can talk to them about. And again, uh, whether it's retention ponds or some of their land use stuff, I'm, I'm not sure. But obviously, they have expertise up there. And uh, perhaps we should have a meeting with them uh, sometime in the near future. And, and, and just uh, just for councils, uh, we were going to look at uh, put in some recommendations of, you know, maybe a committee uh, put together um, just to, to look at uh, the issues and actually take it forward because um, we do think we need that. We just don't know the structure of it yet and what the terms of reference would be. So um, in challenge of trying to get something perfect today, we might have something for the next physical council meeting. Um, but we, there's a couple of things to flush out of trying to do long-term mitigation. And in order to do that, you need it right. And you need, you know, it, it, we, uh, we need some technical expertise and we need some counselors uh, involved, um, you know, um, and, um, and and it might have to even deal with planning. I mean, long years, long-term planning, like uh, when Mr. McQuake's talking about uh, storm ponds, uh, maybe what were we, you know, these are just things that we've been throwing out, right? But until, until you- Yeah, I, 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 well, thank you, uh, CAO Park. I, I mean, I guess all I'm saying is we, we there's, We've got the watershed committee. Uh, I'm not sure if they want to tackle an issue like this. I mean, there's a number of partners in that, uh, but it, it's it, this problem can't just be solved by the town of Peace River. We're, we're, we're the downstream end of this. I mean, we got to look at solving some of these things upstream. Uh, so we, we need to be at the same table. I need a motion to uh, accept uh, the briefing note on the ECC update and and a well we can wrap it up into one motion and a motion to accept Pat's Creek's flood uh, briefing note. Your your worship, you had mentioned that you wanted to see some other content in the flood creek or the Pat, Pat's Creek flooding update. Uh, did yeah. we just want to accept that for information with the expectation that some of that was still going to be forthcoming or how did yeah. you want to proceed? Yeah, yeah that, okay. uh, I, I have confidence that the CAO and Mr. McQuaid will follow up. I agree. 
I'll make that motion, Your Worship. Okay, all in favor? Good. Um, the next item is a resolution in support of the FRIFA grant. Is that how you pronounce it, Ms. Uh, Bell? Is that you? No, that's the uh, fire department. Oh, it's the fire department. The fire, what does that stand for, Mr. Harris? <laughs> the, uh, it's FRIAR, it's the Forest Resource Improvement Association of Alberta. Oh, okay. So um, going from uh, floods to fire, um, what we have before you is in- uh, And we had a pandemic before that. So what is the fourth? Uh, Locust. Oh, the locusts, okay. Um, so in February this year, administration submitted uh, an expression of interest application to FRIA um, for grant monies to conduct a wildfire risk assessment for the town and develop a mitigation st strategy plan. Um, so that was submitted back then on March. In March, the town was informed we were shortlisted for a request for a full proposal. And uh, one component of that proposal is a council resolution supporting the application. Um, so the, the proposal applies for $29,000 in funding for the services of a contractor to conduct the uh, assessment and come up with the plan. And then once we have this plan, if we're successful getting the grant and getting the plan developed, we can use that plan for future funding from FRIA um, to do any mitigation work that's required. Um, so yeah, just I'm uh, just looking for a, a motion or resolution to uh, to um, support the application. Okay. Any I have questions a question. for Mr. Harris, <clears throat> Ms. Ms. Uh, Mazur. Um, so is this like fire smart stuff, or is that something else? Yeah, so it's 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 uh, it is fire smart stuff, but it's it's a development of a plan, um, and then if there's any sort of high risk areas that can be um, the risk can be reduced by vegetation reduction or vegetation control, uh, that kind of thing. Part of the plan may be some fire smart education in areas of the town, um, that kind of thing. So that will all come out of the plan. I would make a motion to the uh, that uh, the council supports the application of the Forest Resource Improvement Association of Alberta for funding to conduct a wildlife assessment, risk assessment, and create a mitigation strategy plan for the town of Peace River. Okay. All in favor? Well, you had unanimous support there, Mr. Harris. Thank you. Uh, so the next item was actually deferred to a future meeting and that was the solid waste tender. And that takes us to letters, a uh, letter to the Minister of Health in support of physician contracts. And I believe uh, um, Ms. Downing put this one on the agenda. So I'm assuming that you will be speaking to it. Uh, sure, Your Worship, uh, I am happy to speak to it. As noted in my memo, uh, my concerns around the, the negotiations between the Alberta Medical Association and the province of Alberta 
have been, um, I'm going to use the word tenuous for the last uh, probably six months. Um, and possibly before that, I can't really speak to that. Uh, but the changes to the way that doctors are paid, that uh, the new funding framework that was announced on February 21st uh, seemed to be rocking the boat for our rural doctors uh, in a you know, disproportionate manner, let's just say that. And so, you know, I, I can't even begin to explain how doctors are actually paid. Um, but what concerned me was how often I was seeing that it was going to impact our rural communities. So then on Friday, I believe it was, and, and, and uh, Councillor Needham jumped in, because I know that you've also been reading about this. On Friday, our Minister of Health um, made some changes um, to the funding framework that would help to protect our rural communities. But then I understand they also made changes to what would constitute a rural community. So I, I'm not really sure how this is all sifting out. Um, I mean, my my big concern was that uh, that the decisions were made with no consultation, according to Alberta Medical Association, for the changes in the funding framework, as well as the the changes that were announced on Friday. Uh, and I'm not certain that that will end well for us either. I think it's too soon to tell, but I don't think that it will end well for us. And my real concern is about um, encouraging our Minister of Health to continue consultation at the very least with the Alberta Medical Association when making these decisions because they, dis they appear to be disproportionately uh, negatively impacting our small rural communities. Um, I haven't been on the recruitment committee. I know that Councillor Manzer has been. Um, probably others around the table have been on those committees to continue to attract and retain doctors in our area. Um, and we've worked really hard. I don't want to see this change. So I think we should still go ahead with a letter encouraging our Minister of Health to... Um, to continue in dialogue, I'm not sure how to say this, but with to go back to the table and continue to have discussions with the Alberta Medical Association uh, in hopes that um, you know the the discord or unrest that the doctors in the province of Alberta are currently having will be uh, alleviated. Anyone jump in at this time? I'm, uh, I'm also looking forward to the letter that we're going to write in support of teachers next time that uh, that we go uh, to negotiate my contract. I'd appreciate it, guys. Go team. I have no problem with that, Byron. And you know I've said that that is an unrealistic situation there. But we appreciate you going to work. <laughs> uh, Councillor Downey. a situation where the teachers are overpaid and the doctors are underpaid? Could that be a uh, could that be a realistic scenario or um, no comment? Could, yeah, it could <laughs> be those forestry people that are the cause of it all. Depends how my day has gone that particular day, whether I feel over or underpaid. <laughs> Mr. Ford, uh, Councillor Downing, would that be a, a letter that you might we might want to uh, 
have our surrounding municipalities participate in as well to make that letter uh, sound a lot stronger? You know what, uh, Councillor Ford, I appreciate that comment. Having said that, I think that that's a more complicated ask. Um, however, ideally, as we move forward, that will encourage our regional partners, our regional, our tri-county, as, as Tom likes to say, uh, to get on board with that. Um, yeah, I can't speak to how uh, fair or unfair the doctors are being paid. I know that we've had discussions about that. I've thought there's been a problem for a long time. I just have a real problem with not going to the negotiating table or leaving the negotiating table and making a decision. And Byron, you make a really good point. I know that our teachers have been faced with that more than once. Well, the point I was actually trying to make is, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I was being kind of facetious in a way in that um, I, I, I understand that doctor attraction and retention is very important. Healthcare is very important. And, and I'm, I'm not saying, you know, we're, 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 you know, putting one public servant above another or whatever, and as, 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 as humorous as it is to, to banter about about it, um, it does put us on a slope, though. And and I would say that when teachers go into negotiation, I would, I, I, what I'm trying to get is we should not uh, maybe get involved. Or if we do get involved, we'd want to do it in a very careful way. So if we were to write this letter, say, for example, we would want to do it in such a way that um, would be like, you know, thank you for progressing this issue and coming back to the table. And we appreciate you guys doing that as opposed to get your butts back to the table and, and, and do it right. You know, like, I think there's ways we can, we can show our support um, without, um, or just to do so carefully, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. What you're saying is it's not in our lane. That's not incorrect, Mr. Mayor. And you're also saying that uh, we're not, and you said this, Ms. Downing, is we don't really understand the issues. So, so Ms. Manzer? Yeah, uh, I agree with some of the comments that um, writing a letter to the minister is a good idea. It reinforces the second thought as to the consequences of um, the initial proposals that we heard that we're going to um, probably negatively impact um, rural areas such as ours. Once we get a doctor here, it's hard to retain them. And the expectation from the ministry seemed to be that there's doctors waiting just to jump to come to our rural areas. And it's a real <laughs> push-pull to try and get them here, let alone to retain them. So I think the letter should be written. Um, the tone of the letter could be at the same time, thanks for reconsidering, but do consider what the consequences of some of these um, decisions would be for doctors in our area. We have people who are complaining that they cannot get a family doctor and talk such this? as that does not help. How about this? Could we have uh, the deputy mayor and Ms. Downing draft up a letter? We can have Ms. McQuaig uh, dot the I's across the T's and then present it to council and uh, go from there. Maybe Councillor Needham might be interested what? in joining that group. Well, I, I'm not, you know, 
just, just, no, I, I, I too watch the news from eight in the morning till dinner time, like all other retired people in Peace River, uh, locked locked away in our own homes. So yeah, so am I am I up to snuff on the issue? Well, somewhat. Uh, I agree with Council Scamahorn. I don't know if we want to get into labor negotiations. But if someone was to craft up a letter, and if the letter was to be focused on recruitment and retention issues uh, of northern communities, I'm okay with that. Uh, I I would shy away from the bargaining table conversation. Uh, now, having said that, there's seven councillors here, and seven people can write a letter. Uh, you can write it on your own letterhead, express your own opinion to government of the day, uh, whatever it is. Uh, you don't need council's uh, sanction to do that. You're uh, Just because you're an elected official doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. So you're certainly open to write such a letter to the minister. Uh, but if council was to consider something, I, I like the idea of if JD and uh, the deputy mayor can put pen to paper and craft up something uh, and bring it back, that's that, that's that's fair game. Again, not, not saying that it would pass, but uh, I would stay away from the, the labor component of it. We need to focus on, uh, you know, I haven't had a family doctor in two years and I don't see one coming anytime soon. <clears throat> so what, so what, so what are we doing? Uh, how, how are you helping us? So. And, and agreed. Uh, I'm happy to take that task on. Hopefully Elaine will, will join and, and we'll bring Ruth in reluctantly or, or or happily we'll see uh and 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 i agree we shouldn't and i and i i felt uncomfortable saying we need to encourage them to go back to the negotiating tables more than i'm very interested how this is going to impact my community so it that's really my area of of uh concern is like, are you thinking this through to the end result? And Elaine says, there's this big line of doctors. Obviously the retention group have been missing that line. So what have you guys been doing for the last 15 years? So I don't know. Uh, Ms. McQuaig will uh, more than wel welcome the, the, uh, the chance to help you guys because she's on a roll. She's a uh, She's very close to winning the Administrative Assistant of the Year Award. Uh, and this may just put her over the top. Well, all you have to do is look over her right-hand shoulder and you'll, you'll, you'll see the, the, uh, the genius at work already. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, thanks to Councillor Downing. She gets the credit for that, not me. <laughs> and um, Mr. Scamorn, do you want to make a motion to... Uh, to have uh, councillors Downing and uh, councillor Downing and Deputy Mayor Manzer to draft a letter on the uh, on uh, our continuing concerns around healthcare uh, professional attraction and retention. Absolutely. Excellent. Well put. All in favor? Okay. Did Ms. Manzer? Did you vote against that? Okay. Oh, Ms. Bell shows up. <laughs> I was here the whole time, just not visually. <laughs> uh, good, because there um, 
Ah, you're just showing up for the community service board minutes, which is under information uh, under reports. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, is there anything you want to underscore in those uh, minutes? Um, on the community services uh, community services board minutes, just the uh, applications for the grants to groups program and the uh, individual organizations that received funding. Um, we are following up with them individually to see how uh, the COVID-19 has impacted their operations and if there's a way they could potentially use some of these funds or need to repurpose them a little bit, some, give them some flexibility. Because um, some of their proposals, um, events and so, uh, so forth are not uh, proceeding. So we're allowing them some adjustments to those applications. Let's remind them 1.5 meters. That's right. And no, no mass gatherings over 15. Correct. Um, then we'll go to museum board minutes. On this particular item, uh, the board met in January and March. We are planning a regular meeting in May. Both boards actually will be meeting in May, having virtual meetings. Um, and the board topics at this museum board meeting predominantly was the storage issue with the museum. We do have a new chair and a vice chair. Peggy Gardner is our chair and George Brothers is our vice chair. Okay. That's about it. Any questions on those? For your worship, Tanya did did gloss over the whole. We want to go and store stuff at Athabasca Hall. Oh right, in January, but not so much in April. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, we might be revisiting that conversation about the Athabasca Hall and storage. Uh, staff are not quite as on board as they were back in early March. <laughs> and, but there was very little damage to Athabasca Hall. That is correct. If anything, it was um, technically a skiff of water and sort of a slurry of just the silt that came in. Um, the hall actually was very limited in terms of its impact. So uh, you won't have Mr. Burr saying, I told you so, Tanya. I won't have, I'm sorry? Story. You won't have former Councillor Burr telling you to, you should have raised the premises right? off the floor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're fine. We're perfectly Perfect. okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So a motion to accept uh, the briefing note on, uh, well, the report from Community Service Board Minutes and the report on the Museum Board Minutes. Uh, for information. Mr. Da Mr. Good, all in favor? Uh, we have an information uh, letter from the AUMA, from AUMA to the Minister of Municipal Affairs regarding the use of MSI program for funding in quote shovel ready projects. So Mr. Parker, do, is there anything that needs to be underscored there? No, this is just something that came up from our uh, meetings with AUMA that um, with the COVID and trying to get shovel ready projects going. They just want uh, the flexibility to uh, use MSI and, and not have to wait to uh, get it approved for some of the capital projects. 
And they're also wondering if they could use even some of, uh, when they're talking about just the capital MSI that uh, even the uh, uh, operating that uh, is out there. Right. Um, so they never said anything about bumping up the MSI monies. <laughs> no, they, they, they uh, I'm sure in one of the questions they have been asked that, um, but at, at the end of the day, the, the, the provinces, you know, they're trying to fund so many different projects, right? And uh, they're looking at a $20 billion deficit this year. And uh, so the buck is going to stop someplace and, and it's probably going to be stopping with municipalities because uh, they don't seem to be given very much, uh, you know, so say that happens. Okay, uh, motion to accept the uh, letter presented from uh, AUMA to the Minister of Municipal Affairs for information. Mr. Needham, all in favor? Okay. Um, any notices of motion, Mr. Parker? There are none, Your Worship. Uh, Ms. McQuaid, did you receive any comments from the public that they wish to pass on to this meeting? You need to unmute. Ruth, you need to unmute. Oh, my apologies. Um, no, I did not receive any. Uh, uh, no, we did not. My apologies. Okay. Uh, do we uh, do we actually have any YouTube uh, watchers? Yeah, five. Five, excellent. Did we uh, down? Have we downloaded the last, the latest security app for Zoom? Uh, for Zoom meetings. <laughs> We're following all the best protocols. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, and uh, what? What do you, uh, Ms. Zoom? What do you? Feel was worthy to Twitter out regarding this meeting? Um, I think the big one this week for the focus is going to be on the tax rate and penalties bylaw. We've got a statement that went out to area media during the course of the meeting, and we'll have uh, more details going out on the website tomorrow, along with a summary of the meeting. Okay. And you have had no... Uh, right now, you don't have any requests from the media for interviews right now. Uh, Kenny Trenton from CKYL is wondering if you're available tomorrow to do a recap. Um, there's an email in your inbox about that, but otherwise, nope. Okay. And, uh, and uh, we will take a break for five minutes and go into a closed session, I believe. Is that correct, Ms. McQuaid? Uh, yes, Your Worship. Uh, please check your calendars. There is a second login for the second portion of the meeting. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.